This is Conquering Columbus. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is Andy, your show editor and mixer. On today's show, Josh sat down with David Bullivant, the CEO and founder of Yellow Weld, a welding startup in town. Early on in the interview, David talks about his decision to make his alternate passion of welding the main focus of his professional life instead of pursuing the path of a musician. Ultimately, I think that choosing an alternate passion to pursue as a career will give me the stability so that I never have to make that decision of, you know, giving up on a dream because I, I really don't want to ever be living the roadie life, you know, out of the back of a van and think, you know, this is it. It's either this show and I get big or I have to just give up on it. And I think this has given me a lot of opportunity to learn to grow a passion and learn to be passionate. Next, David speaks about manual welding and how it will still have a place amongst future welding technology and automation. Ultimately, like welding and manual welding in particular will always be a career, but we are going to get a lot of interesting technology. Like they can do things that 50 years ago, it would have just blown people's minds. One of the things that is going to sustain it long term is we still need to repair things in particular. I think we had a few generations of throwaway commodities. Things just aren't built the same way that they used to be. And I think that we're going to care about having things that are built to last again. David and Josh wrap things up talking about Yellow Weld's efforts to redefine what it means to be a welder. Making people within the business not just an asset for production, but the different ridges of a, a fingerprint of what makes us who we are. We bring someone on because we have a need for it, but the whole idea is just making sure that everyone can be genuinely themselves in this space and that they are being invested in as people and not as resources to a business. All right, that's it for me. Enjoy the episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Conquering Columbus. Today on the show, we have David Bolivant. David is the founder and CEO of Yellow Weld, a startup welding company here in Columbus. He studied welding engineering at Ohio State before founding Yellow Weld in June of 2020. We're excited to have David on today to talk about Yellow Weld, how it got its start, and why people should consider a career in welding and a whole lot more. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, David. Yeah, thanks so much for having me today. Uh, it's great to meet you. So we always typically like to start off on a high level background on the guest. And sometimes that goes as far back as childhood. Sometimes it doesn't go that far back. It'd be interesting to know kind of where did you grow up and what were the milestones along the way before ending up at Ohio State? Sure. So I actually grew up in Minnesota. I'm from a really small farm town called Princeton. And I originally started studying welding as a means to pay for an education in writing and musical composition. <laughs> so my grandpa was a carpenter. And I grew up working with my hands. It was something I was always pretty comfortable with. So it felt like a natural way to increase my toolkit, essentially, because I knew that writing and, and being a writer was probably not going to be paying my bills, or at least not in the beginning. So it was kind of a natural point of inquiry. I was curious about it. And as I started studying it more, I, I found that I did have a genuine passion for it. So I went to school for it. For a couple of years, I worked in the industry while I was going to school as well. And ultimately, I decided that I wanted to make a career out of it. And I just had to find what particular direction and niche I wanted to take it. So I opted not to go union, though unions are really good opportunities in the trades. But I ended up moving out to Columbus to study at OSU. Did you start your education at OSU or did you start somewhere else before choosing Ohio State? Yeah. So I went to Anoka Tech out in Minnesota. They had a two-year welding program. So I, I learned a lot there. After graduating there, I left to transfer to OSU. So after a 
few years at OSU, I ultimately decided to leave and kind of focus on some business opportunities that I was working on and take more control over, you know, my learning objectives. And I found that really rewarding, though at times challenging. And I've been pretty happy to kind of end up on the track that I am, though I didn't really expect to to end up where I am now. <laughs> and did you talk about it? Apologies if I missed it. Did you talk about why Columbus? Like why Ohio State? Or was it because of the, the credentials of the welding school here? Yeah, so it's kind of a unique program. There's really only one of its kind in the country. It's a pure science welding engineering curriculum. The only thing that comes close is there's, I think, a couple schools that have a welding engineering technology degree, which is also a four-year bachelor's science. But I was going to school, you know, 7 a.m. to like 3 p.m. And then I was working from like 4 p.m. until 11 p.m. in the trades for like two years straight. And uh, I felt eager to get into a book and to get back into that sort of learning. And ultimately, I'm, I'm kind of glad I ended up where I am now because I didn't find formal education particularly compelling, particularly in engineering. It's so narrow. There's so much to fit in such a short amount of time that you really don't get to develop any parts of yourself outside of a really narrow scope. And so since leaving and focusing on business, you know, business is a great incubator for just self-development because you have to become competent in so many different things. And I found that really rewarding. I'm glad every day that, <laughs> that I ended up where I am. And your original passion, you said it was on the music side, right? Yeah. And so as you got more into welding, uh, you never steered back to that. Is, is that. How did that dissipate? It's not necessarily to say that it dissipated. I, I still enjoy writing and I still enjoy playing music. A lot of my closest friends are, are musicians in the local scene. And I, I'm involved in that as much as I can be while working the way that I do. There was sort of a change of focus in, in that, like, is the songwriter lifestyle really what I'm looking for? Or is it something that I have a passion for and I would like to pursue in, in my own way, in my own time? You know, do I want to be a, a famous artist or do I want to just have a nice guitar and a nice piano and, and play when I want to? And ultimately, I think that choosing an alternate passion to pursue as a career will give me the, the stability so that I never have to make that decision of, you know, giving up on a dream because I, I really don't want to ever be living the roadie life, you know, out of the back of a van and think, you know, this is it. It's either this show and I get big or I have to just give up on it. And I think this has given me a lot of opportunity to learn to grow a passion in a lot of different things and, and learn to be passionate. And so what year did you finish up at Ohio State? I left like 2018 or 2019. It coincided. So I was working for a small fabrication shop at the time Somebody had just graduated out of that program that I was studying in. He had started a business while he was in school. And it was a pretty flexible job for me while I was in school because he had just left and he kind of knew what I was going through. So I was working for him doing welding and eventually it just became apparent. It was so small. It was just me and him for the longest time. And it became apparent that if I put my focus on that, I would be able to grow in so many different directions. And so I moved from just a welder, you know, part-time welder to more of a partner role. I, I learned, you know, the financials, I learned marketing and estimation and sales and all of that. And honestly, it, it was a great outlet for me. I'm a really curious person and I 
ADHD and, you know, I, I, I lose focus if I don't have things that are new and exciting to kind of dig into. And I'm lucky that I, I enjoy problem solving because if I, you know, business, all it does is create problems that need solved. So I've found it more rewarding than I expected. <laughs> and it's June of 2020, right? Is when you decided to jump off and create Yellow World. And where does the name Yellow World come from? It started as sort of a joke, actually. Sean, when I was still at the other fabrication shop, Sean was the last person that we hired and it was the three of us for a good length of time. And when I decided that I was going to leave to start my own, Sean came with me and we were brainstorming a name and he suggested Yellow Weld because yellow is my favorite color and he thinks it's kind of quirky. And we laughed about it and we spent about six weeks thinking of other names and, and just nothing else really stuck the way that did. I think it does a good job of embodying some of our ideals and our personality though, because, you know, it's bright and it's clean and it's kind of the opposite of what people think of when they think of welding. It's easy to say, easy to spell, you know, ultimately that's kind of the whole business ideal is to be the antithesis of everything people think of when they think of welding. Our sponsor is Waveform Music Group. Andy and Carlin have been working with us to take the production of Conquering Columbus to the next level, and Josh and I cannot be happier with the results. Outside of podcast production, Andy and Carlin are experts in songwriting, music production, and sonic branding for companies of all sizes. And to learn more about them, head to their website, createwaveforms.com. That is createwaveforms.com, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. And so you jump off in those early days, and obviously like the zero to one and those first few hours is pretty difficult when you're, you don't have the overhead that's being covered from you when you're working in the fabrication shops. So you got to find a way to get enough volume to cover all those additional costs that are going to come with the business. How do you get it off the ground? Did you take an investment or what did, what did that look like? It was uh, it was a weird time. I was fairly fortunate that I had spent about three years working on sales and estimation and networking. I was doing basically all of that for the business that I was in currently. So I knew that if we just put enough out there, we would get something back. And in the beginning, we didn't have enough to sustain us by any means. We had a few lucky projects that were enough volume that they kept us fed for a while. And we were lucky. We had some friends and family that wanted to put, you know, $1,000, $2,000 here and there at just kind of whatever we needed. And that was instrumental in just keeping us going. But ultimately, I mean, we had three of us that were just working around the clock, making peanuts just to, to get started. And we've come a long way since then. I mean, we're, we're about a year and a half old now, and it's crazy. We started in a storage unit we were a 10 by 10 storage unit welding on our hands and knees on the floor. <laughs> and then how many employees is the team up to now? I think including myself, seven right now. So we have several people who are part-time. We've got a content manager and photographer. And then we have three people who are like full-time in the field and shop. And then uh, one guy who's remote, who's doing some of the drafting and like financial advising. And, and then there's me. So... We're still growing. We're trying to find that balance between keeping the team the same size and really optimizing that as much as possible. Because if, if you multiply chaos, it, it's not good. But um, it's a tough balance because especially in welding, I mean, there's a lot of projects that it, it makes a pretty big difference whether you have two guys or three guys or four guys. And uh, to build the team a little bit was sort of essential to get into some of the work that we want to be doing. 
So it's it's definitely come with some trade-offs, but I, I think that I'm happy with where we're at and I'm looking forward to seeing the team grow. And what is the work that you're doing now? And what does the uh, vision look like? Yeah, so right now, I mean, one of my big backgrounds was just in custom fabrication. You know, I spent a lot of my early career doing that and that can be anything. I mean, when I was like 19, I was welding up air conditioning ducts one day and the next day I was making like food processing containers for dog food, just everything under the sun. So I always enjoyed that type of thing. And and part of me always wants to go back to it, but we are working on finding niches and being very like employee focused on, you know, what do you guys actually enjoy doing the most? And like, let's try to maximize that. So we've been doing a lot of handrails, both residentially and commercially. Uh, but we're also working on getting into kind of like high-end furniture and light fixturing, primarily for the residential space, but we do see it in commercial a bit. But today we were doing like a brewery shutdown for BrewDog. They had some maintenance that needed to, to be done. And so we get in and we do some of the sanitary work. And occasionally we even do structural on, you know, on new buildings that are going up. And so what do you think about the trajectory of the industry and then just the difficulty of finding people who have skills in welding and finding welders and then some of the companies in town focus on trying to automate that process? Uh, where do you think things are going? Yeah, it's, it's honestly hard to say. There's, there's so much development in the technology, even over such a short time. We're finding all kinds of new ways to do things. I don't think the welder will ever be an obsolete career because even when we do create robots, you still need somebody that understands the process well enough to set these parameters and you need somebody that knows what it's supposed to look like so they know when to recalibrate. So I think ultimately like welding and manual welding in particular will always be a career, but we are going to get a lot of interesting technology like laser welding in particular is really fascinating stuff. And and the stuff they're doing with it these days is pretty amazing. I mean, they can do things that 50 years ago, it would have just blown people's minds. And so I, I think one of the things that is going to sustain it long-term is, you know, we still need to repair things in particular. I think we had a few generations of kind of throwaway commodities and things just aren't built the same way that they used to be. And I think that that that's going to come and go in cycles. And I think that we're going to care about having things that are built to last again. And I think that that will be kind of a resurgence to some of these skills. We're going to take a quick break here to thank one of our sponsors, the Burlett Family Foundation. The Burlett Family Foundation is committed to serving as a trusted partner and resource to organizations striving to improve our community here in Columbus. All right, let's get back to the episode. What about your goals for 2022? Like, do you want to see the team double this year? I know you mentioned a little bit, there's a focus on the size versus the products you can do. Do you have that laid out already? Yeah, so 2022, it's going to be a big year for us. Last year was very, very foundational. We planted a lot of seeds and put a lot of hooks in the water. And I think we're already seeing a lot of fruits of our labor starting to crop up. So 2022, some of the goals there are going to be to pay off some of the startup costs. I mean, it cost us a lot of money and time to get all this started. And I'd like to see all of that kind of squared up. I know usually that's like a three to five year thing. And I think we're right on track for like late twos, maybe early threes with how things are going. 
And another thing that I'm really excited about, I don't think we're going to grow our team substantially. I mean, maybe two or three more people over the course of a full year, but we're interested in rolling out a profit transparency program. So we're really interested in kind of pushing the limits and pushing the standards of our industry a bit. Contractors have gotten kind of a bad rap and there's, there's a lot of fair reasons for that. But one of the things we're considering doing you know, as plain as day on an estimate or an invoice have a line item. It's just gross profit. I think that it's setting a precedent of transparency and communication and trust of, you know, this, this just is what it is. And, and there's going to have to be some, some challenging like educational aspects. And we're going to have to put some resources on our website. So people really understand, you know, what really is gross profit and like, how is that different than like, you know, Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk and, you know, what does this get used for? And so I think all of it stems from just a sustainability approach and like an ethical approach of, you know, this is what allows us to get healthcare for our employees and, and get them set up with 401ks and these things that I think when we work with contractors in particular, we don't see all of those hidden things. And so I think it would be really good to move in that direction and just see how people respond to it. Yeah, the idea that, that profit is not free cash flow, you know, it's not uh, David's fun money on the weekend and yeah. things like that is kind of hard to get across. If people knew <laughs> my monthly budget of fun money, you know, <laughs> they'd probably be paying me more. But and like that, it's not a dirty word. It's not a bad thing. You know, it's a business cannot exist without it. And I think it's important for us to understand that a lot of the things that we desire as as employees, you know, that's that's how that's created. And that's the only way that that's possible. And so I'm really focused on creating an equitable business uh, for people, not only people who work with us, but just people who are in our, our network and our clients. And it's about giving everyone like an honest and enjoyable experience. And one of the kind of litmus tests for me is, is this business one that when I was like 19, would I have been really excited to like get an interview at my own company? And like, if I can't say yes to that, then I'm not on the right track. So, you know, part of being equitable to the people who work here is to have enough cash flow to make sure that they're taken care of. And how do you maintain that from a cultural standpoint? Like I get the vibe that from a traditional person, I would expect to be sitting across from that's running a welding shop. You know, it's like 30 years older than you and probably rough around the edges, not to say it in a negative way, but he likes just a different vibe, right? So the culture in an environment like that is going to be totally different than I'm assuming what you're trying to maintain. And how do you approach culture? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And like one that we've thought a lot about we know more than the average person about how rough around the edges this this trade can be. And, and so that kind of goes back into that brand of like trying to be the antithesis of everything that people expect. You know, we work with general contractors that work with metal trades all the time. And, you know, sometimes it's as, seem, as simple as just being polite, you know, and like asking direct questions and all of that. But as far as culture goes, you know, it's all about creating a space that's of you know, dignity and respect to people as humans and like making people within the business, not just an asset for production, but as, you know, the different ridges of a, a fingerprint of what makes us who we are. And I think that's been one of the most enjoyable processes so far is, you know, we bring someone on, 
because we have a need for it. We have a need for the service that they can provide, but then they will inevitably change the identity of who we are as a collective and change our dynamic. And it's been so fun. And like, there's no way that we could possibly predict, you know, how that's going to feel and how that's going to be different. But the whole idea is just making sure that everyone can be genuinely themselves in this space, that they can learn and grow in the directions that they want to, and that they are being invested in as, as people and not as resources to a business. Hey, everybody. Mike here. We're going to take a quick break to talk about one of our sponsors, One Columbus. And we are very excited to partner with One Columbus. They really, really share the same vision as us here at the Conquering Columbus podcast, which is really building up the Columbus region to be one of the most prosperous regions in the United States. And One Columbus serves as the business location resource for companies across central Ohio and around the world as those companies grow, innovate, and compete within the global economy. And they help us lead a regional growth strategy that develops and attracts the world's most competitive companies, it grows a highly adaptive workforce and prepares our communities for the future, inspiring innovation across the board. Their mission really is just ensuring the Columbus region is a vibrant place to build businesses and careers. So again, we really appreciate all of their support. You want to learn more about them, go check out their website, columbusregion.com. That's columbusregion.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be right back into the episode. And then what about any other advice for our listenership across primarily central Ohio entrepreneurs, business professionals, young professionals? Yeah. I mean, I think it's always a struggle. I mean, business is, is something that is not for the faint of heart. And I think one of the things that I take away from this experience that I'd like to share is just, you have to learn to love the process because if you don't love what you do, you will not be willing to work as hard as you are required to work to be successful in these things. And so you know, you got to slow down, you got to be patient and you, you have to learn to love the process. Beyond that, I mean, part of it is just closing out some of your options as well. I think it's really easy to be indecisive in an age where we have such an awareness of the options around us. One thing that I've always found to be a useful strategy is when I've set a course, you know, I don't think about plan B and it's it's partly just a personality thing. I think I've always been that way. But, you know, if I put 10% of my attention and effort towards what plan B could be, is that going to be the 10% that makes me fail in plan A? So just staying the course, believing in yourself, trusting your judgment, and keep your head down and work hard until you've got what you need. And what is the long-term goal? Is the long-term goal, you know, monetary and an exit and eventually sell the business? To- grow it into something you could pass down to children or family or relatives? Yeah. So I'm still figuring that out a little bit. I, I have so many different interests that I'd like to explore over my lifetime that I can't imagine that I'll retire in Yellow Well. You know, who knows? I might, but there's a lot of other business ideas I'd like to explore. And one of the things that I think has been a useful kind of guiding principle as well is building the business as if I were planning to sell it, even if I don't, because if I look at the numbers on a sheet of paper and someone else would not find this valuable enough to buy it, then it's not valuable no matter how much effort I put into it and how much emotional investment I have in it. That's something that's really hard for small business owners to get over that hurdle because we do put so much of our time and energy into these things. And it's important to look at these things outside of ourselves. Otherwise, we're kind of obstructing our own view on it. 
And leads to our last question this show, and it's centered around our theme, which is live uncomfortably. And curious to hear, you know, how does it apply to your life and maybe Yellow Weld and the last year and a half, this journey and your philosophy on how you approach things? Yeah, I think a state of discomfort is a catalyst for growth. A great example for the last year for me has been communication. I was raised by a school counselor, so communication was always something that was present. And I considered myself a pretty good communicator and emotionally intelligent, but working with a team has been a unique exercise in just learning my deficiencies as a communicator and learning where I can grow and and how to be better about that. And though it isn't always a comfortable and enjoyable process, I feel myself maturing and developing as an individual as well as a leader through the process of, of giving that some mindfulness. David, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me.